Now, most of you know, know, some of you know, most of you may maybe be a stretch, but I am from, my home state is North Carolina. Uh, some people say, did you grow up there? Well, I don't know if I ever grew up, but what growing up occurred probably occurred there. And what is the nickname of my home state? What are people there called? Say nicely. Tar Heels. Tar Heels. Where does that name come from? Well, like many things in history, there are various opinions. But the one I choose to report is supposedly during a war called the Civil War, which Southerners call the War of Northern Aggression, um, or as some little old ladies in Richmond, Virginia used to call it, the Great Unpleasantness. <laughs> Robert E. Lee saw in one battle a group of soldiers who were tenacious. They would not give up. They would not retreat. They would not back off. And he asked one of his adjutants, he said, what, who, who are those soldiers? And he said, well, they're a regiment from North Carolina. He said, well, they fight like they have got tar stuck to their hills. God bless those tar-heeled boys. Thus the phrase tar Heels." Who knows where it really came from. But that kind of stick to that kind of attitude that says, I'm going to keep going even when it's tough, is one of the attributes that we're going to read about in Jesus' character, even in our passage for today. So turn with me, of course, to John 6, as we are going to be looking, continuing through the Gospel of John. I've been preaching about it uh, for weeks, actually months now. It's going to take a while to finish it. But I love going through a gospel book in its entirety. I think it's important. I think it's good. So let's begin tonight, uh, tonight, today, by looking at John 6, 52, going through verse 71. Beginning with verse 52. And there the Bible begins and says, The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? You'd say, what in the world is he talking about? Well, back up to verse 51. And he says, if anyone eats of the bread, he will live forever. The bread that I shall give him is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Well, how can this man give his flesh to eat? Verse 53. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him up for the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh, drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. That's a key phrase. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of the disciples, when they heard this, they said, This is a hard saying. Who? Can understand it. 
When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? Does this bother you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted unto him by my Father. From that time... Here's one of the saddest verses in all the Bible, 66. Isn't that kind of odd? It's chapter 6, verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I want to read that again. Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Did I not choose you, the twelve, but one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Wow. What a complex, interesting, fascinating, and sometimes sad passage. It is the beginning of the end for Jesus. What does that mean? As we began chapter 6, we had at least 5,000 powerful, excited disciples who would do anything. I mean, they were ready for Jesus to be king. And we end the chapter with 12 troubled disciples and one of them is a traitor. So we've gone from 5,000 plus, including families, to now 12 and they're struggling. As I said last week, usually most preachers take more than one service to get rid of people. But Jesus seemed to be able to call out the crowd pretty quickly. Amazing. Amazing. He had said some tough things. And they even said, these are tough things. We don't understand these. We we can't handle all of this, Jesus. But Jesus, in essence, in this entire passage we've just read, says, shows that a decision has to be made. A decision must be made to take me inside of you. So that we become one if you want to really live forever. Well, first of all, just look with me that there was a decision to be made. Looking back with me just a little bit over that which we've studied over the past weeks. As we look back over chapter 6, remember we saw Jesus feed the multitude. And then he left the multitude. And then he began to teach his disciples Remember we pointed out last week there were four responses of the crowd to him. First of all, there there was uh, in verses 22 and following, there was a seeking of the crowd. Then they began to murmur as they responded to him. 
And now we shall see them striving and departing. So the chapter is just really a sad one as it shows how the people responded or did not respond to him. So as Jesus teaches us, and we begin looking at the primary passage for today, we see them striving and arguing against him. They, they didn't like what he had to say. And the words he used were difficult. He says, you better eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, that's not easy to understand. Now, again, everybody in Jesus' day knew of the Jewish prohibition against eating flesh. They knew that was verboten. That's German, forbidden. They knew that. Jesus was not speaking about eating his physical body and drinking his physical blood. They understood that. He understood. I mean, they should have. He understood that. He knew that's not what I'm talking about. So he tried to teach them. He tried to help them understand, I'm trying to apply spiritual truth here, but you're not with me. They were misunderstanding him. He was saying, you must receive me with your inmost being. You must take me into yourself if you really want to be a Christ follower. It's not about just following me for a while. It's not about just following me for what I can give you. It's about taking me into you. And that's what he's trying to get them to understand. By using this physical analogy of taking his flesh and drinking his blood, he is talking about a lasting, satisfying, continual relationship. And he wants us to hear that today. In verse 58, he said, Unlike the manna that Moses gave you to your forefathers, they're dead. They used that manna up. If you take me into you, It'll be a forever experience. And once you really come into me and me into you, it will change you forevermore. It's a decision which Jesus outlined. And I will tell you, my friends, today, it is not a first century matter only. What he said in that hillside there is applicable for us today in the 21st century as relevant as ever before. You've got to take me in to you. You've got to incorporate all that I am into all that you are. And then you will experience a new kind of life that transcends anything this world has ever known. And so I must ask you today, have you tasted the heavenly manna about which Jesus speaks? Have you taken it into you? Now I'm going to do something different today. Uh, I've always heard that old preacher say, God helps something happen today that ain't in the bulletin. Uh, so, ushers, would you, I want you to pass out something. I, I've got a form I want to give to you today. And, and uh, they'll give it to you as quickly as they can. I think we have enough. If we don't, um, we'll get you one. I just want to know, have you made this decision to taste the heavenly manna? Now, what I'm giving you is a simple outline. And if you're a student of you'll recognize it to be a testimony sheet. It is a three-part question. And I'm asking you today, can I require you to do it? No. I'm asking you to fill it out for me. I want to keep it. Why? Why? 
Oh, a lot of reasons. I want to know, have you tasted the heavenly gift? Now, here's another reason it's not as important. Listen to me. Someday I might do your funeral. I plan on living a long time. And I'm going to outlive a lot of you. And I might do your funeral. And I want to be able to pull out that paper and say, in their own words, here's when they came to Christ. In their own words, here's what Christ has done for them. You say, wait a minute, have you ever done that? Oh, yes, I've done that. And let me tell you this. Ten years ago this month, my daughter Melissa died. And I'll never forget, at the funeral, the associate pastor at Taylor, Dr. Perfect, (laughs) pulled out little Melissa's testimony sheet. Read it. That's a powerful thing. To hear in your words... My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. If you're standing before God and he asks you, why should I let you into my heaven? What do you think you would say? I've been a good person. Mm, How good do you think you have to be to get into heaven? A lot better than you are. Number one, describe your life before coming to Christ. Just simple. You don't have to tell us all your previous sins. I really don't want to hear them. Probably already have heard them. Number two, important. Please describe how you came to know Christ. Some of you are going to say, but wait a minute, Pastor. I don't remember the date. I don't care whether you remember the date. I don't remember the date. I know the year. I remember what happened. I can tell you where I was, what happened. You may not know the date, but what happened when you did come to Christ? Do you know it? Can you... Can you write it down for me? And then number three, tell me, what has he done since then in your life? My friends, this is important. I want to know, have you tasted the heavenly gift? Sure, I might do your funeral someday, but even more importantly than that, you need to be able to verbalize. This is how I know that I know that I have taken Christ into me. This is how I know it, and I can say it. Oh, my friends, please do that. Bring it back next week, the week after. And if you can't fill that out, maybe you need to give me a call and say, Pastor, come help me. Come help me. And I'll come help you. The second major point for today. Our Lord Jesus shows us that there are different reactions toward him. There are different reactions toward him. Again, he started off with huge numbers. But look at verse 66, as we've already pointed out. One of the saddest verses in all the Bible. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Can you imagine that? Well, yes, in your honesty, you can imagine that. Because he said some hard things and people couldn't take it. So many of them just turned their back on him. Well, why? Well, some, no doubt, saw quite clearly, this guy's heading for trouble. He is going to run right into the jaws of justice. He doesn't mind 
confronting the Jewish leaders. He doesn't mind confronting anybody. He's going to be in trouble for sure. He's challenging the authorities in no way anybody's ever done it and gotten away with. He is going to lead us all into a terrible situation. We've had it. We're out of here. Bye. But for others, they backed off the commands of Christ because they were just too hard. I mean, they followed Jesus to get a free meal. And now he's talking about taking him into themselves and no, 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 no. We didn't, we didn't sign up for that. We just wanted the easy stuff. We just wanted the good stuff. We, we didn't want to suffer. We don't want to struggle. We just want Jesus for the good that he can give us. And because of that, they backed away. It's not very glamorous to suffer. Uh, and we've all heard of, of people who have given their lives to the Lord in some difficult time, and then later you never hear from them. Maybe a movie star, maybe an athlete, maybe someone, but you never hear after it gets tough. Well, Jesus knew that people would be like that. But you've got to look at what Peter said. Jesus, where else are we going to go? You're the only one that has the words of eternal life. Jesus, there's, there's no one else can give us what you can give us. But friends, if we come to Jesus solely to get from him and never to give, then we were never a true disciple in the first place. It's what, what, what might be called a fair weather follower. It was never real in the first place. I was talking to one of our church members who's a gun fanatic and I'll never forget years ago, I was in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and, and uh, I was visiting with a prospect, and he joined the church, praise the Lord, but he had an old flintlock rifle, and he showed it to me, and I enjoyed seeing that old piece of history. He said, there's a couple of phrases, have you ever heard uh, flash in the pan? I said, yeah, I've heard that. He said, have you ever heard the phrase going off half-cocked? I said, oh, I've done that, and I've heard it too. He said, well, they both come from this instrument. I said, what? There's a little pan right in front of the trigger of a flintlock pistol or rifle. And apparently the way you load it is you, you put the powder down in the barrel, and you put the something else, and then the bullet, uh, wadding I think it's called, and and anyway, the way that is sparked is by the powder that's in the pan. But if you don't load it correctly, then when it's hit, the pan flashes real good, but the spark never goes down into the barrel, and the bullet never flies. And a lot of us are flashes in the pan. We look good, we say, oh, the other one is going off half cock. You have to double cock the mechanism. And if you don't do it right, you can go off half cocked. <laughs> I've done that, many a sermon. But let me just tell you, the flash in the pan is what I'm pointing out. There are a lot of people that make a flash. Well, yeah, I gave my life to Christ. Oh, did you? But my life never changed. I've never become a serious follower of Christ. Peter said, listen, Lord, we have nowhere else to go. I don't want to be a fair weather follower. So first of all, we do see that kind of defection 
There was a reaction of defection, but now there's that reaction of deterioration. And look at verse 70 through 71. We see in Judas this deterioration. And he points out one of the 12 that's still following me, one of you, is a devil. And we know this one called Judas, there was this deterioration. He could have become a hero, but instead he becomes an object of shame. He became, could have become a saint, but he becomes a sinner. Because his following of Christ deteriorates. And he eventually sold Christ for 30 pieces of silver. Story is told, don't know if it's true, of an artist, not Michael D'Angelo, Michael D'Angelo, whatever his name was, um, who painted the great painting, The Last Supper, but another painter was painting it. And he wanted to get the most beautiful male face he could ever get to be Jesus. So he went out into the streets and he found this guy, just a beautiful face. It was not my face, but a beautiful face. And he painted that man as Jesus in The Last Supper. It took him a long time to paint, and finally by the end, he was going to paint Judas. So he thought, well, I've got to go find a face that's rough, that's rugged, that shows the deterioration. And so he went out on the streets, and he found this guy that just rough, just rough. He said, listen, I want to paint your face in a painting I'm doing. He said, well, you've painted me before. What do you mean I've painted you before? He said, yeah, you painted me as Jesus a long time ago. Same man, but he had gone down so much because of his life. His life had deteriorated right in front of him. And and now he was the face of Judas as well as the face of Jesus. You see, if we're not careful, we can become a person whose spiritual life also deteriorates. And we can get to the point where we've lost our enthusiasm. We've lost our joy. We've lost everything. And we can just move to that place where we say, well, I'm no longer any good for anything. I ask you in all honesty this morning, when was the last time you ever got enthused about the things of the Lord? I didn't ask you when was the last time you got enthused because I know when that was the last Clemson or Carolina game or the last Georgia game or the last whatever game you person, whatever team you follow, you got very enthused, didn't you? When's the last time you got enthused about the things of the Lord? We can deteriorate, can't we? Third and last, there is that reaction of determination. Look at verse 68. Peter was the spokesman as usual, you would say, because he was always that first boy to raise his hand in class. Uh, He was always the first one to say, let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you. Peter was the spokesperson as usual. And he said, Lord, where else are we going to go? You're the one who have the words of eternal life. And then he used what was, to that point, the most clear and advanced statement of faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. No one had said it quite so succinctly, so powerfully, using so many definite articles up until this point in time. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. If Peter had ever thought about deserting, that was a short-lived thought. But he said, in essence, we have nowhere else to go. And his loyalty 
was based on one thing, and that was a personal relationship. He understood what it was to take Christ into himself. Was Peter perfect? Oh, no. He would show that. But he knew that Christ was in him. My friends, Christianity is not a philosophy that one adopts. Christianity is not an intellectual assent to which you attain. It is not a theory that one arrives at after long logical study. It is a relationship and a response to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I ask that we not be like that crowd in the first century who defected and deteriorated but that we are determined to become a Christ follower in the good and in the bad. One last thing. I've been a pastor a long time. And I've seen people give up when one tragedy occurs in their life. And I've said before and I say it again, some of us in this room today are one tragedy away from giving it up. Tragedies are going to come. Tough times come in the life of everybody. In fact, Jesus said in a later passage in John, in this life you will have tribulation. It's going to happen. And what is going to be your response? Oh, I tried him. He didn't help me at all. I'm out of here. Or are you going to be like Peter? Where else are we going to go, Lord? You're the one who has the words of eternal life. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you're the only place we want to go, Lord. The good, the bad, the easy, the hard. You're our Lord. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Pray with me. Father God, in Jesus' name I pray that we would not defect, that we would not deteriorate but that we would be determined to be Christ's followers in the good and in the bad. That we would allow you to be the Savior and Lord of our lives in every aspect and in every way. Father, I pray for every man, woman, boy, and girl in here today. They've received a sheet that helps them to verbalize what it means to be in the Lamb's book of life. And I pray God right now, right now, that as they take that paper home, that they'll not put it on a shelf, but they will use it this week to clarify and commit their relationship to you. So I pray right now during this prayer time, Father, for every man, woman, boy, and girl in this place, That this today and this week would be a time of recommitment and commitment to you. You are our Lord. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we commit it all to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.